Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Nahum the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Not sure if you caught it or not. But last Monday morning, in the wee small hours, history was being made. Granted, it's, it's not probably the sort of history I imagine many of us this morning are bothered about, but history nonetheless. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers dispatched the Kansas City Chiefs with relative ease, and in so doing, quarterback Tom Brady achieved the incredible feat of winning more Super Bowls as an individual than any other team has won collectively. Throughout his career, Tom Brady has now won seven Super Bowls. If you were to construct a list of Super Bowl victories, he would sit atop and next would be on six, the Pittsburgh Steelers or Brady's former team, the New England Patriots. On his own, he has won more than any other side in history. He also became the only player ever to win a Super Bowl in three different decades. And that really is impressive, given that the NFL average career is a little over three years. But what's most remarkable, I think, about Tom Brady's feat, whether you care about it or not, is the unremarkable start he had to his career. The year that he was drafted by the New England Patriots into the NFL, 198 players were picked before him. 
you ever have that occasion in school when you were picking sides for a game and the last person to being the last person to be picked? Tom Brady was 199th to be picked the year that he started playing in the NFL. And when you read the scouting report that was attached to him, it kind of makes sense. This is what they wrote. Tom Brady is of poor build. (laughs) He's skinny. He lacks great physical stature and strength. He lacks mobility and ability to avoid the rush. He lacks a really strong arm. He can't drive the ball downfield. He doesn't throw a really tight spiral. He's a system type player who can get exposed if he's forced to ad lib. He gets knocked down easily and so on. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't really understand what any of that means. It's gibberish to me, but I, I can see that it isn't a positive review. Teams weren't jumping and jostling to get their hands on this unathletic, uninspiring quarterback. And yet now, 21 years later, he's proven all of them quite, quite wrong, hasn't he? It's a fact that he's a record breaker, a record holder, and widely agreed to be the best quarterback ever to play American football. Everything that they wrote about him has been proven false. Someone else who had quite a lot written about them was Jesus. Jesus actually said that the whole of the scriptures were testifying to him, were teaching, were speaking about him. And what's incredible about Jesus is that he lived a life that proved all that writing correct. Tom Brady proved what was written about him completely and utterly wrong Jesus, in his life, proved that it was all right. So what was written about Jesus? Not just about Jesus since his life and death and resurrection, but what was written about Jesus before? If you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you'll see that Jesus has got lots of places where he likes to go in the Old Testament. Pictures, stories, prophecies which he uses to to help flesh out, to fill out in people's understanding who he was and what he was all about. But today, as we spend a bit of time in Luke chapter 4, we get to spend uh, time on an occasion where Jesus went home, visited home, went along to synagogue like a good Jewish boy, and was invited that week to stand up, to sit down actually, and to teach on the passages that had been read. And in so doing, Jesus has the opportunity to show that what was written about him was absolutely true. This is what happened to be read that day. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's what Jesus read out. And then this is what he finished up by saying, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Really, to understand what Jesus is saying there, we need to transport ourselves back to the days of Isaiah, some 800 years before Jesus was even born. 
We need to transport ourselves back even further to the other books of the Old Testament which spoke of this anointed one, this special one, who is going to come for a purpose. The furthest back we can go is to the garden, to the time of the fall, when Adam and Eve were being cast out for their rebellion and their, and their disobedience to God. But the promise that God made to send someone, a descendant of Eve, who was going to somehow put it all right. That picture, that promise of someone who was going to come to put everything right, would be developed throughout the scriptures. We'd find and learn new things about them. Uh, all the way through and including the book of Isaiah, we'd find out the sort of person that would be and the sorts of things that they would do. And, well, let me put it like this. It's an all-encompassing mission that Jesus is saying that he has. Someone who is to do something that will have economic impacts, political impacts, physical, social, and yes, spiritual impact. Jesus sat down and declared that all that has been written about this special one, that's been written about me. The one who was promised to come and rewrite all of the wrongs, to, to wipe the slate clean, to, to earn forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption, to live the life that everyone else was supposed to have been living all along but had turned the other way. Jesus says, I'm that one. That's what was written about me and I'm here now to make it a reality. It's an all-encompassing mission that Jesus speaks about. And funnily enough, they don't quite believe him. Just like maybe today, if the individuals who wrote those original scouting reports for Tom Brady read the news that he had won his seventh Super Bowl, they might not quite believe it. Jesus is sharing with people in his own hometown and they hear him declare that this was all written about him. They can't quite believe it. Sometimes neither can we. Sometimes neither can we quite believe that Jesus is the one who came to do so much. To make everything that's gone wrong right again. Gone wrong on an individual and a personal level, but on a corporate and global level. That Jesus has come to make all things new. Can that be? Is he really? Does his life prove that or disprove that? While Luke, wanting us to be certain of the things that we've heard about Jesus, gives us some examples. A little bit later in Luke chapter 4, the camera switches focus from Nazareth to nearby Capernaum. And this is exactly what we find Jesus doing. Living. Healing. First of all, healing someone from spiritual oppression. He arrives at a synagogue and, and he's um, met by this man who's been oppressed, who's been held captive by this evil spirit. And he casts the spirit out of him and says, you are set free. Almost immediately, he travels to the house of Simon, one of his followers. 
Sadly, Simon's mother is very sick. And Jesus says, you will be healed. You will be restored. And she is. And Jesus says, do you know, in all of this, wanting to go and wanting to put things right, I want people to know that this, this as it has been written about for so, so long, has finally, at long last, come true. And when people tried to hold him in just one place, he said, no, I've got to go to other towns because it is necessary to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to other towns also. This I was sent for. Here's a really striking difference between Jesus and John the Baptist and Jesus and and, and all those prophets and religious figures who have gone before. One of the things that's really frustrated me as I've been making my way through the Gospel of Luke has been the similarities between Jesus and John. Why is it that they have these similar origin stories of miraculous births? Why is it that they both spend time in the temple and then time in the wilderness? Why is it that they both look to the book of Isaiah for a description of their ministry, their life's calling? The the similarities, I'll be honest, have frustrated me. But here is one huge, noticeable and important difference. You see, John was someone whose life was purely and simply about announcing, declaring the coming of this special one. Uh, Whose life was about announcing the coming of God's goodness, his grace, his kindness, his favour. And Jesus was very much about that declaration and announcement as well. But Jesus was one step more, wasn't he? Jesus wasn't just about saying it was coming. Jesus was about saying it had arrived and in him actually delivering. It's a bit like when I make an order online. I always hope that it's going to be delivered by DPD because they're my favourite delivery service. And they're my favourite delivery service because they communicate so clearly. The day before the package is due to arrive, I get an email telling me package is coming tomorrow. The day that the package is supposed to arrive, I get an email from them saying your package will arrive between and then they give me an hour slot. Then, because I'm a tech savvy guy, I've got the app on my phone, I get a notification telling me that my driver is 10 stops away and if I really want, I can follow that driver on the map until I hear the ring of my doorbell and I open the door and there is my package. You see, there are announcements all the way, but it's the delivery driver who finally, at last, makes it a reality. And what we find here, the difference between Jesus and all those who have gone before, is that he's not just speaking about it, he's doing it. He's doing it. And and Luke gives us these examples of the exorcism, of of the healing, of the desire to go elsewhere, to teach and, and to reveal himself to people. The rest of Luke's gospel is filled with more examples of Jesus offering forgiveness for sins, of Jesus raising people from the dead, of Jesus literally healing people who were blind of gathering people who have been marginalised and downtrodden, each a symbol, each a product of a world that has been completely and utterly broken 
by humanity's sinfulness. And Jesus comes into all those things and he doesn't just say there is restoration available. He doesn't just say there is forgiveness on its way. There is healing on his way. There is dignity and worth on its way. He says, here it is. I am the one who is bringing it today. It has been fulfilled in your hearing. We don't need to doubt Jesus. They doubted when they heard him say all that was written was written about me. We don't need to doubt it because we have this carefully researched retelling by Luke of everything Jesus did. And boy, oh boy, was he more than just someone who spoke about it, but did it. But did it. And yet, I guess we do doubt Jesus, don't we? I know for a lot of people, the idea of having faith in Jesus, of putting trust in Jesus, of saying, do you know what? I'm not the king of the castle anymore. I'm not the Lord of my life anymore. I need to turn away from that and I need to turn and trust in Jesus as king and as Lord. For a lot of people coming and simply reading of miracles makes it very hard to believe. We've, we've been taught, haven't we, that miracles are, are well, not possible. That miracles are times when God supposedly interrupts the natural order of things to work in a different way. But I was challenged recently when I heard a description of miracles which totally and utterly turns it on his head. Can't remember the name of the theologian now. It began with K if that helps. But he speaks about miracles being rather than a suspension of the way that things work. As a, for a time, restoration of how things work. You see, death was never supposed to be part of our experience. Death only came in when the world broke down, when we rebelled against God. Sickness was never supposed to be a part of our world. It only entered in when we rebelled and the world broke down. Debt, oppression, injustice were never supposed to be part of how our world worked. And so when Jesus comes, and he conducts his miracles. He isn't changing the way, the natural order of things for a time. He's restoring the natural order of things. Which in the context of this description of what he's all about. Someone who has come to proclaim good news. Captives released, sight restored, oppressed, free. The Lord's favour on his people. We see that's what he's totally and utterly all about. Putting things back right. Taking what we have broken, what we have tarnished, what we have ruined, and making it new and whole again. So we don't have to doubt. And yet, yet we do doubt, don't we? And I've heard it said so many times by people, do you know, it's all very well and good that you believe, but for me to believe, I can't trust the Bible. I can't take Luke's word for it. If God really wanted me to believe, then he'd show up in front of me and he'd tell me himself. Then I'd believe. Would you? Would you really believe? 
As much as I'd love to sit here and tell you that when Jesus arrived, when he performed his miracles, when he unashamedly announced who he was, that people flocked to him and trusted in him and decided to follow him, and they did. As much as I'd love to tell you that that was the only response, sadly it was not. In fact, this very story when Jesus goes back to his hometown and announces himself in this wonderful way, well, this is how it ends up. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up and they drove him out of town. And they brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on and they intended to hurl him off the cliff. Jesus literally showed up one Saturday morning in their town. He literally told them who he was and what he was all about and they didn't believe him. In fact, they rejected him. They wanted to kill him for who he declared himself to be. So I ask you the question, would you? If Jesus rocked up with us this morning, if he turned up in your living room and he said, here I am, believe, it's not a given that you would believe. But there is encouragement, there is hope for those who perhaps think that they're beyond belief. In the midst of all this chaos, Jesus makes reference to two stories. A story from the life of Elisha and a story from the life of Elijah. Two really prominent, important prophets from Israel's history. And the two stories he draws out are stories when God's favour, God's kindness, his grace, his love, are brought to and experienced by people that would never have expected it to come to them. To people who even those prophets would never have expected it to come to. In fact, in Elisha's example, it's a story of a man who had a sickness, a skin disease, and he finds cleansing miraculously. He is someone who is quite honestly an enemy. He is quite honestly one of the oppressors. No one in a million years would have expected him to find God's favour, to enter into this sort of relationship with God, and yet he does. The encouragement I have for you this morning, even if you're sitting there and you're thinking, do you know what, I could never believe, is that, well, God does work in mysterious ways. And there are stories, there are histories of people you would never expect to find favour and to find faith who do. So I want to proclaim to you good news this morning. I want to proclaim to you the good news that Jesus said he was here to proclaim, but he was here to deliver as well. Jesus is making everything right again. And that can include you. Jesus is putting everything back where it's supposed to be. And that can include you from the individual and our physical, emotional, spiritual bankruptcy, Jesus is saying there is relief, there is restoration, there is the debt being cleared from an individual sense to a cosmic sense of our broken and crumbling world that is 
groaning and creaking and tumbling down around us. Jesus is and has begun the work of putting everything right. Today it has been fulfilled, Jesus said. You can have faith. You know, faith isn't about closing your eyes and blindly believing. It's interesting that we think that is the case of faith when Jesus uses the language of blind people having their sight restored. You know, faith is, is about looking at Jesus, what he has done in history, and acknowledging and accepting and trusting that he can and will continue to do that. He promised to forgive people's sins. He can and he will do that for you. He promised to fix people in, in all the ways that we need fixing. He can and he will do that for you. He said he was going to recreate all of this that's around us that's so appealing in some senses but also so sad and so broken. He can and he will do that. The good news is that Jesus is putting everything right. Don't put your fingers in your ears. Don't cover your eyes. Don't worse still respond as they did in Nazareth that day. Become enraged and want to rid him from your life. Call on him. Trust in him. Run to him and you will find that it is all true. Everything that is written about him, he has proven to be true. I want to quickly finish with a little word to us as a church. Um, this year we've been beginning with this renewal, this rethinking about what we're, what we're about as a church, about as God's family here in Amford. We've been looking at what it means to, to know Jesus more and how that means to be transformed and to be more like him. As, as big a topic that is, we're going to spend weeks, months, years unpicking that, untangling that, pursuing that. What we have this morning in Luke's fourth chapter of his gospel is a wonderful snapshot of Jesus, of what he cares about of who he cares about. We see that Jesus cares about all people and that he cares about all of all people. He cares that people know about the good that he has brought. And so our challenge then is to go and to be likewise, to go and to do likewise. I was called up short when I read this this week in preparation, this challenge for people. It is much more comfortable to study about God and his mighty acts or to focus on prophecy in the second coming. Prophecy and theology and church history are all safe things. It is much riskier to open your heart to God each day to listen and to ask, Lord, what are you telling me to do today? Who are you calling me to? How are you calling me to love them and to serve them like Jesus did? Lord, what are we going to do today?
when Jesus lived like that, loving, declaring, caring for people. He did so with detractors. It was a dangerous thing that he did. They literally wanted to throw him off a cliff. But it's for this purpose that we have been called to. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. You know, so many of us would want to put action off until tomorrow. Here's the thing about tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. Jesus didn't say this blessing, this favour, this work that I've come to do, that's for tomorrow. He said it's for today and it's for today for us too. And so God's people, dear church family, this is what we need to be like. We need to be like the one who has made everything right. We need to be people who care about all people. Who care like Elisha and Elijah did about those who are far away. Care like Jesus did, not just about the people in the town he's in, but the people in the next town. Care about people not just hearing the message, but receiving the message of experiencing the message through lives that are changed. We can be more like Jesus when we care for people more like Jesus cared for them, in our words and in our actions. Today, not tomorrow. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that everything that was written about Jesus was proven totally and utterly right that those thousands of years of anticipation, of building, of articulating who Jesus was going to be and what he would do, Lord, they came gloriously true. That here was this one, empowered by the Spirit to declare great news of freedom, of reconciliation, of redemption, of forgiveness, of all those things that we need because of how we have twisted and broken the world. Jesus came and he said, I'm putting it all right. And he did. Lord, give us the faith to see that. Open our eyes in faith to see that. And for those of us who have seen, Lord, change us to be more like Jesus. Has he not only declared this kingdom come, but he delivered that kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would be part of that process even today. Take your people, Lord. Use your people to be messengers and delivery men of the good news that Jesus makes all things new. Amen.